Dotnet Rocks, episode 1299, with guest Vittorio Bertucci. Recorded Tuesday, May 3rd, 2016. All right, welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And we are not in our usual place. No, we're at a conference. I mean, we're often at a conference, but yeah. uh, we're in a weird box today. So, like NDC, Techorama in, in Belgium is where we are, and the city is just outside Brussels, and it's called... Mechelen. Mechelen. And uh, it's a nice little city, but this box that they've made for us, it's kind of like a fishbowl, but it's all plywood. Yeah. It's like very rustic. It's very organic. It's our little cabin in a movie theater. Yeah. We're sort of like camping. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> camping with no roof. But different. Yeah. <laughs> so you're going to hear commotion going on in the background for the next several shows that we record here. And uh, the next show that we're doing after this one is show 1300. You're right which is uh, an open source panel that we did uh, here at Techorama. Yeah. And then there's just a whole a bunch of You're going to hear shows. a bunch of them. Yeah, we had, we had a really good week recording shows with them. Right. And it's ironic that the last show we're recording here is the first show you're going to hear. That's right. So that's why we're doing this explanation right now. <laughs> uh, but before we can go any further, of course, we need to do a little thing that we call Better Know a Framework. Awesome. All right, buddy, what do you got? Clearbit. What is this? Dot com. Do you know about Clearbit? No? Uh, Clearbit is an, an API that lets you look up person and company information. So you can turn an email or a domain into name, title, company, location, social profiles, industry, employee count, total raise, tech used, whatever is publicly available. It's sort of just like a... A scouring device that uh, finds finds out a little bit more about who is behind an email Stalker address. Stalker as a service. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And so I thought that would get the conversation going with Vittorio a little bit later, but uh, that's it. And, I'm and, trying it on one of my... I, it, oh, I tried it on my mother, and nice. I didn't know anything about her. It's because she doesn't use social media or anything like that, right. which is good. Yeah. But yeah, that's the first thing that most people do is they put their name in. You're going to do it right. Dario's going to do it. <laughs> Let's all give it a try. Everybody, why don't we just pause while the listener goes to clearbit.com. Yeah. yeah. They're going to force you to sign up, but you know, whatever. No, they actually don't. You can just do you can just do it right on the website and that works. Okay. And uh, as far as the pricing, you get 50 API requests a month for free. And uh, then you, you you can go back up go up from there and I, I I guess it goes all the way up to seven ninety nine a month for a hundred thousand lookups a month so yeah there you go interesting all right clearbit.com also you can get there of course at uh, 1299.pwop.me who's talking to us today Richard grabbed a comment off of show 1251 one that we did uh, at NDC uh, earlier this year with uh, Dominic Beyer and Brock Allen talking about the uh, identity framework that those guys work on, right? Yeah. Identity server and all that good stuff. 
Uh, not that this comment is particularly about that. This is from Russell Hammett Jr. He said, hey guys, great episode as always. I have not had the opportunity yet to work with OpenID, OAuth, ASP.NET Identity, or anything like that. I've implemented a few systems with ASP.NET membership, but in my job, I didn't think there would be an opportunity to play around with all this cool new stuff. Yeah. Do you guys have any information or resources or tutorials on getting started with implementing a system utilizing ASP.NET Identity? I'm sure I can Google it, but is there anything out there you could recommend as a good starting point? Hmm. Well, there's all kinds of stuff on MSDN. In this lots space. and lots and lots yeah. of stuff. So it's probably the safest bet. But as an aside, and it ends up being the rest of the comments, it's not really an aside. Richard reminded me of one of the greatest, that is, worst, password policies I've ever worked with. The password has to be exactly eight characters long, must contain one number, must contain one letter, and cannot contain special characters. <laughs> the passwords will expire every 60 days, and your new password cannot have a like sequence of more than four of the characters from oh the current God. password. Oh my God, you're and just... you cannot reuse the password for 24 password changes. So if you know the policy, you have a better chance to hack the password, don't Absolutely. you? Absolutely. Yeah. But it's also just... It has to handle 24 password changes every 60 days, so you just have to map out 24 passwords and keep rotating. That is so Still, stupid. If that weren't bad enough, their system is used to authenticate other systems, but seemingly not in a servicey way. It seems like, and I can't know for sure though, that the other services using the identity service they provide must be updated with the new password rather than just using the service call to some central authentication endpoint. What that basically means is when you hit submit to change a password, it's actually batched out and takes five minutes to know the success or failure of the password change. So clearly, every service that this thing's supporting all receives a password change at once, all has an opportunity to reject it, and then you'd have to try again. It should send you a fax that you have to sign and fax back, actually. That would be really there, great. That's what's missing. Yeah. I learned the password policy the hard way because it took me 25 minutes to change my password with their service as I kept hitting policy failures that I was not notified of after the five-minute wait time on the password change attempt. I'm sorry. I guess my rant on terrible password policy ended up being longer than the comment itself. <laughs> as an aside. As an aside. <laughs> Very funny. Yep. I give mugs for good derailments. Absolutely. Hey, Russell, thank you so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social media because we publish every show to Facebook and Google+. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And, of course, you can follow us on Twitter. And please do. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. And send us a tweet. We salt our hash with him. All Good right. One. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let me introduce our guest. Vittorio Bertacci is a principal program manager in the Microsoft Identity Division, working on developer experience related to identity services, both on-premises and in the cloud. As architect evangelist at Microsoft, he spent several years helping major enterprises build advanced identity solutions based on new Microsoft technologies. A published author, he frequently speaks at international events such as TechEd, PDC, Build, and Ignite. He blogs on identity topics at cloudidentity.com and tweets at V-I-B-R-O-N-E-T, Vibronet. His latest book, Modern Authentication with Active Directory for Web Applications, was published in January 2016. Welcome back, Vittorio. Thank you for having me. We had you back when you were working in uh, the architect evangelism role. And uh, now you're in Mr. Identity. 
Ta-da. Well, I you know, work in a division where everybody is Mr. Identity. It's like uh, <laughs> very interesting mornings, interesting afternoons. It's an interesting place. Yeah, very much so. So identity is a service. I mean, isn't that passport? <laughs> well, you know, you might be that onto something. <laughs> that was the first attempt, anyway. Yeah, that was a good, uh, a good few years ago. That's a while ago, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But the, the times weren't ready. Like, uh, it was uh, definitely uh, before its time. Right. Like, today, uh, people are simply used to have a digital identity because, like, uh, social media, yeah, everything. We, we all have it, no question. And uh, it all, like, when we say we, it's not just the technical people, like uh, mm -hmm. my sisters, which normally yeah. would not be caught dead close to a device. Instead, they are on Facebook more often than I am. Right. So now uh, everybody is uh, aware of their digital identity, and especially everybody, in a form or another, reuses that identity across multiple services. Sure. And that's simply something that uh, at the time was technically possible, and uh, like, uh, people wanted to enable that, but simply the... My personal opinion is that there was not enough awareness of the potential beneficiaries of this to actually take off. People only thought of the potential shady aspects of this, right. and so uh, this thing didn't uh, Because bloom. we've kind of done it since with the, you know, log on with your Google ID, log on with your Facebook, the whole OAuth thing, right, or OAuth 2. Yep, yeah, that is exactly right. But that uh, grew, I would say, organically. Let's right. say that instead of uh, somebody uh, designing this, Simply what happened is that uh, some of those providers happened to have uh, a lot, a lot of people. And so it became very interesting for other applications to take advantage of the fact that people were already authenticated elsewhere. And not only that, they were interesting information that uh, they wanted to mine. Right. And so uh, you started seeing things like, uh, I don't want to say names, but like... Uh, Websites which would tell you, well, why don't you give me your username and password or these other service so that I can sign in on your behalf, see the list of your contacts, and then send invites to everybody else. Right, right. right. Yeah. And uh, that was like a, the only viable way of doing it at the time, but it was a, a terrible thing to do. Yeah, terrible. Like, uh, you never ever are supposed to give away your credentials to a place which is different from the place that gave you those credentials. So if there's anything that I've learned from talking with uh, people who have solutions for solving some of the problems, especially around security, that a good identity management server or something of that kind can solve, it always comes back to what's the incentive for the user? Because the user, you know, the typical user of Amazon is really happy, you know, just having Amazon keep their credit cards and using HTTPS and, you know, add it to cart or one-click buy or all of that stuff seems to work. Or even just going to a whole new website and entering in their credit card over HTTPS and, and all of that stuff and, and, you know, trying to putting in your passwords and dealing with passwords. On People seem to be okay with that. I mean, what, what incentive do you give to people to, uh, to, to make better decisions? about their identity? Well, here there is an interesting balance which we are hinting at. There is a usability aspect and uh, what the user is really motivated to do. Yeah. And then there is also the, like how sustainable that thing is. Right. Like uh, users would uh, very often do things that uh, aren't very, how to say, forward looking. Like uh, 
they might uh, end up, uh, say, granting permissions all the time and similar, and then be surprised when something goes wrong. So it's up to the developer, which builds the solution, to give that convenience, but also at the same time protect themselves from disasters, liability, and in general protect the user from themselves. Right. Sure. And here you see like two very large categories. There is like the consumer side, which we just hinted at, like uh, private citizens going through the internet, yeah. being consumer of services, and somehow cross-pollinating and intertwining all the things that they can do on the internet into like uh, specific flows in which all these things come together, like the one that you mentioned. Yeah. In, uh, there is a provider that has uh, your credit card information, and you just are able to reuse that thing elsewhere. Right. And then there is the business aspect in which you have uh, people that uh, co-own their identities because a part of that identity is owned by their employer. Right. The moment in which you join a company, you are uh, issued a badge, you get the t-shirt and the hat with a little uh, thing on top, and you get your account. Right. And that account is for you to act on business capacity. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, a visa has to be convenient and usable, otherwise uh, you will not be productive, you will not be happy, and you will work against the system, which is a problem. But at the same time, it also has uh, to satisfy a number of, uh, um, I have to say, requirements and uh, like basic uh, security hygiene uh, and similar. Uh, I was listening with interest to the rant about the, the password terrible policies. password policies. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I think it's like a, a very good example of like, like good intentions uh, running amok. Right. Yeah. How do you say that in English? Run, am run amok. amok. You oh, got it. Great. Yeah. Run amok. Yeah. That's, that's well, and that, the whole eight character thing things. right away kills me. That's right? crazy. I mean, that's, that's crazy. That goes back to the XKCD yep. password policy thing. It's like, look, entropy matters. Longer is better. Yes, but uh, that's uh, an important aspect. Like, there is uh, some basic hygiene that needs to be used. Otherwise, like, uh, it's not really a secret. It's yes. like, uh, it's a travesty. But in uh, the reality is that uh, that's really not enough. Mm -hmm. Let's say that in a world in which uh, anybody can grab uh, a GPU and instead of using it for uh, watching nice VR with Oculus, can <laughs> use it for cracking passwords. <laughs> so uh, it, it, it's true. Yeah, it's yeah. true. It's true. Absolutely yeah. true. So uh, the land of password is not enough. Like you need to have uh, first things like uh, two-factor authentication, yes. yep. which uh, can be a bit of a burden, but uh, it's up to your identity provider to make sure that they ask you at the crucial moments to use also the second factor right. and then piggyback on that to keep your session and so give usability and security. So that at that point when your password is compromised, then you have this thing that uh, makes it especially hard for people to actually go beyond. I mean, I really like it when Facebook sends me an email the first time I log into a, 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 my account with a new device. Like it's, it's a confidence builder. Right. Like that, Remember when you just hated everything about security? Yeah. When I actually get the right message? Yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> but even this like when my credit card company phones me and says, hey, we just saw you did a transaction in yep. this country. Was that you? Yeah, that was me. Thanks for calling. Right. right? Like there is ways to provide two-factor off, you know, further th that actually lets you feel more confident that somebody's sure. paying attention. Absolutely. But uh, here, let me go even farther. Sure. Like those are the things in which you enlist uh, the help uh, of a user. Because like, of course, they have to deal with the fact that they have multi-factor often similar, but today in which uh, so much of the functionality migrates from uh, specific uh, islands here and there to centralize the cathedrals in the cloud, right. like for example, the thing I work on is Azure Active Directory. Mm -hmm. When you use uh, in a, a service for authentication, yep. you can afford to do things with, uh, which were unthinkable before. And uh, my two favorite examples are 
today, if you use Azure AD and uh, one of your uh, employees tries to sign in using uh, credentials that the Microsoft Digital Crime Unit, which is a different unit in Microsoft, right. knows to be credentials that are being sold on black, the black market, the administrator gets a warning saying, hey, one of your employees is using uh, credentials that are on the market, like beware, right. which clearly, if you would not be using a service, you would not be able to do. Right. Or similar, but at the lower level, again, the digital crime unit uh, um, knows about uh, um, bots of like uh, networks of compromised machines, right. which are used by spammers, hackers, and similar. And they know them by IP. The moment in which you see a sign-in request that comes from that IP, again, it's another flag that you can right raise. Away, it's like, flag, say, hey, yeah. right. What's going on? Right. Or like uh, you could have uh, a user which is uh, using the same service uh, for identification, but to two different, uh, um, let's say, sa um, products, like uh, say SharePoint Online and uh, Exchange. And say that uh, half a second from a distance, you sign in in one from Taiwan and on the other from Munich. Right. Clearly Big there flag. is something wrong. Right. And uh, again, if you would not be relying on a service that somehow aggregates all these sources uh, and uh, keep up, like there is a machine learning behind these things which continually learns and looks for patterns and patterns and similar, right. you simply would not be able to do this. Hmm. And all these you get uh, even without any extra burden on the user. Like for the user, is still the password, is still the 2FA if you have a 2FA, but all this intelligence is uh, simply for the fact that you are using identity as a service mm -hmm. instead of uh, traditional identity, let's say. Yeah, well, and I think people are getting used to using 2FA most of the time anyway, right? Yeah. But I yeah, like that extra level of, this is very unusual. Like, the, there's unusual and there's, what the? And it also gets back to just what consumers are expecting, right? right. They expect low friction. And yeah. when you increase friction, even if it's for their own good, they won't do it. Well, it's like the credit card scenario I just outlined. They didn't refuse my transaction, right? Like, that's what makes me angry, right? And if they're dumb enough to phone me after refusing my transaction, this is fine. I paid with a different card, and I won't be using your card anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I'm all about you wanting to secure me and so forth, but not in the impediment of what I want to do. Yeah, it's tough. It's very tough. And, uh, and unfortunately, the awareness of... Uh, how uh, brittle this system can be sure. usually come when it's too late. Like, uh, I don't want to name any names, but uh, last year was uh, a flagship year. Name for, names. Uh, name names. <laughs> now, you guys can name names. Well, we've I had like Troy it. Hunt on the show. Oh, he names so, names. He names names. So you already heard everything that there is here about, oh, yeah. uh, about this, uh, this kind of attack. Yeah, Troy has been uh, a great, great uh, evangelist of like, uh, explaining to people what happened and uh, why it happened uh, and uh, how to uh, avoid these in the future and similar. But uh, you see, like, uh, I observe companies being uh, more receptive to security topics uh, just like in the weeks after this kind of very public uh, oh, sure. compromise. Yeah. yeah, everybody's interested in it. Well, and it's funny, he, he, while we've all been here and Troy's here as well, there's been some major breach he can't talk about, but, you know, he's now in a place where the hackers feed him the data right? because he can prove that they've really hacked it. And he's talking about it's a multi-million dollar account breach. Wow. Like, or not multi-million user breach. Like it's a lot. It's a, it's a massive breach. It's big, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And this is another element of it. I mean, it's like I write good, I use good passwords, I use two-factor auth, and the company still gets hacked. But see, that's the other thing. But uh, 
there is a the aspect which is the visible one because as users, when we sign in, we have those gestures in this ceremony. But the reality is that that's the data in transit. Then there is the data at rest. Mm -hmm. And so very often uh, it looks easy to just like set up your uh, homebrew solution, maybe even using like uh, reputable products and similar. But uh, it's enough to just uh, have something that goes south, like uh, you have logs which uh, somehow are outside of HTTPS tunnel right. and save data in the clear. Yep. Or uh, even worse, you have a completely homebrew situation in which uh, you build your own database and perhaps uh, you just uh, disregard some of the basics. That, uh, you store you the password. And instead, again, identity as a service, and I, I don't want you to think that I'm a salesperson, I don't look like a salesperson. Yeah. Yes. But I think that uh, the identity as a service is, again, one of those uh, huge, huge paradigm shifts in which, like, uh, instead of having your uh, diesel generator in your, back in your uh, backyard, mm -hmm. you have uh, the central grid and you rely on that for electricity. But when you're using... Uh this identity is a service model, you're not doing the OAuth 2 thing of using someone else's credentials. Like, I still have control of the credentials. I'm just not doing any of the storage and, and any of the auth side of this. Right. So, so what do I get back? So you are still using uh, OAuth, OpenID Connected, and all of that stuff. Right. It's simply that uh, the endpoint that processes this stuff and uh, the place where you are storing all the information that uh, are required to make the system work happen to be in our uh, uh, multi-region cloud right. instead of being uh, like on your local ADFS or on your local uh, any product that sure. you would use for identity. But then if you sniff the wire, you see that uh, the language that you talk is still off if you are trying to call an API. Right. Open and connect if you are trying to sign in. Or if you are like a big government and you are still using SAML and stuff like that, you also use SAML. Like right. in the end, for us, like supporting this thing is just opening a new endpoint in front of uh, all of this stuff. Does my app need to be in Azure as well? Or? Absolutely not. Okay. Your so app I can, can be, be on prem? anywhere. Okay. On prem, on competitor clouds, wherever you want it to be. Then, if you as a developer, decided to put it in Azure, mm -hmm. then uh, adding support for Visa can be as simple as uh, when you are deploying the app in Azure, there is a little checkbox which says, use Azure AD. Right. You do that checkbox, done. You don't need to put anything in your code. This thing happens uh, in the Azure fabric. And that works great if you are, for example, lifting an application that you had on-prem, mm -hmm. you're just moving it in the cloud and uh, you want to use that directory and that's it. Then if instead you are building your app and you want to sell it to others, right. like you are an ISV and uh, you build the next great expense node app, then this app will want to connect to multiple directories. Right. And then at that point, uh, you do need to put a bit of code in there, but that's pretty straightforward. Like, sure. Are, are we talking about um, Azure Identity? Uh, what's the product or the service called? So the name of a product is a big umbrella. is like uh, Azure Active Directory. Right. And okay. uh, in a... In recent uh, months, this is uh, becoming a wider and wider umbrella. Like when it started, it was a substantially Active Directory traditional reimagined for uh, work cloud workloads. Yeah. So once we came out with Office 365, we realized that uh, as a SaaS provider, mm -hmm. we had to have uh, 
the same functionalities that uh, you have uh, on-prem for identity, but in the cloud. Right. And there, yeah. the laws of physics are different. Let's say that uh, you have to cross uh, untrusted networks. You need to design the system uh, which is uh, multi-tenant as opposed to something that lives uh, safely within the walls of your castle. Right. And uh, you needed to do things like uh, querying the directory for knowing uh, who's your manager or which groups you belong to. But your directory might be back on-prem, but you're running in the cloud. So we did this uh, reinvention in which substantially Azure AD is a projection, is a replica of uh, selected parts of the uh, information in your local directory. Right. And then uh, the, uh, the cloud workloads like Office 365 or your own APIs, they substantially trust your embassy in the cloud of your directory. And Visa uh, makes it for uh, a system which can be used with multiple organizations that never needs to come back to the on-prem unless you decide so. Mm -hmm. Like say that you have uh, your on-prem ID and you invested a lot of money in your own uh, local smart card system and you want to still use it. Uh, you can just like have your projection to the cloud and when it's time to authenticate, you just get redirected, you do your thing, then you come back and you get your token from the cloud and from that one moment on, you're fine. Or on the opposite side of the spectrum, say that you are a company which has no on-prem. You have some people that work in Vancouver, some people that work in uh, Oslo, and some other in uh, Johannesburg. Right. You don't need to have uh, the office printer. Who right. cares about the printer? But you still need to have uh, things like, here I have this manager, I have these reports, I need groups, I might need like, SharePoint, all of that. And with uh, Azure AD now you can uh, just have your directory in the cloud without mm -hmm. the need of uh, anything on-prem. And this is uh, how it all started. Then uh, there are like uh, multiple uh, evolutions, like one of them is uh, when we created the uh, Azure Active Directory, we started from the code base of uh, MSA, the Microsoft Account Live ID system, right. but we forked it for doing things like uh, FISMA compliance, all the things that you need if you are working as, a, uh, as an enterprise or as a government. Right. And now instead we are bringing them back together so that uh, instead of uh, when you are developing an app that needs to work with both commercial and consumer, mm -hmm. instead of having to use two different libraries to register your app in two different portals, now we are unifying all of that. And then finally, the third uh, flavor of Active Directory that you have today is Active, Azure Active Directory Business to Consumer or B2C. Okay. This is uh, something that uh, uses the term uh, Azure Active Directory mostly because it's uh, reusing the same infrastructure, mm. the same uh, very large network uh, of uh, um, data centers that we used for Azure AD. But in fact, its audience is different. It's uh, rather than something that you use for authenticating your employees, right. something that uh, you use for authenticating your customers. Right. So a classic example is, uh, say that you are in uh, a big airline. Mm -hmm. If you want to authenticate your users, you use uh, your employees, let's say you use Azure AD. Yep. If you want to build the website and build the mobile apps on multiple platforms for your frequent flyers, then uh, you use Azure AD B2C. And this system allows you to do all the things that you want when you're talking with a consumer. So it integrates with Facebook, integrates with Amazon, integrates with Google, hmm. integrates with MSA, inter it creates your own username and password with whatever policy you want, right. gives you the full customization so that if you want the UI not to resemble Microsoft at all, right. like it's a completely white-label system, but it still uses our servers. So the, the good advantages of having uh, identity as a service 
is still uh, uh, something that is available at For that sure. point. Yeah, and you get to see it. Yep. And, and you're all, all integrated in with that. That is exactly right. Yeah, that's really cool. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is. I must be that happy time again. Yeah, it's time to reveal my new masquerade ball costume. Oh, what is that? So I get 50 name tag stickers that say, hello, my name is, and I write different names on, stick them all over my body. I go <laughs> as an identity crisis. <laughs> Very nice. It's good. Thanks. That's an actual costume I actually saw somebody wearing once. Um, it, it's... In reality, it's time to give away a Music to Code by complete audio collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And Music to Code by is a set of 25-minute Pomodoro-sized quiet and groovy instrumentals scientifically designed to promote focus. It'll get you into a state of flow and keep you there. .NET Rocks fans are being more productive with Music to Code by. See what all the fuss is about at musictocodeby.net. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Ryan Anderson. Congratulations, Ryan. Golf clap for you, sir. Golf clap for Ryan Anderson. Some clappers. The clappers. And by the time this comes out, uh, there'll be 13. Nice. Yep. Yeah, you were 13. just finishing 13 before you headed out to, uh, yeah. to Belgium. That's a whole lot of Pomodoros. That's, yeah, that's many palms. We've used it in a humanitarian toolbox, right, during a codathon. Just a good, good background sound to get people engaged and focused. Really great stuff. Yeah, cool stuff. And uh, if you don't know what we're doing here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .net Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world, and every show we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But you have to sign up to win, of course. And, Vittorio, it's your turn now. If you had $5,000 to spend on technology right now, what would you buy? And I see you eyeing Richard's right now. laptop there. Yeah, he <laughs> likes the Surface Book. Well, I have a Surface That's Book. That's true. Which I bought with my own money. Because hey. I, I wanted it the first day that it came out. So yep. I said, uh, bring your own device and go with it. But uh, with, with 5000 I would probably uh, apply for buying a HoloLens. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because it's very good. My wife did, and she got it. And so now at home, we have a HoloLens. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you uh, want your own, because yeah. she won't let you use it. <laughs> well, uh, luckily, we have a more or less of eyes at the same distance, so we can exchange it without having to every time I run the calibration up. Oh, okay. But yeah. uh, we both have long hair, and so it kind of ruins the uh, entire setup. Oh, no. Ah, well. That's, uh, that's worth it. That's worth it. And then we I can't imagine the, you with short hair, though. Yeah. yeah. You don't. I will send you a picture. Oh, uh, you have a picture. It yeah, there was a time in 92, I had a hair exactly like this gentleman. Oh, oh okay. wow. He's in pointing 92. to Richard. Yep. Yeah. My hair is short. At some time. And then the remaining 2000, I would probably pimp up uh, a computer so that it can run Oculus, which I did recently. Yeah, uh, you can drop two grand on just a video card. Like just a yeah. video card. The yeah. top of the line Titan, the Titan. X. Yeah. yeah, that's a couple of grand. That's the and one we talked sweet. about in our... Uh, in, in our keynote. Yeah. There's some, a couple of new models. Like They're just getting faster and faster and faster, and their price tag's gone up. And you can use it for cracking passwords. Yes, you can. The, but better not. Or Bitcoin mining, right? Yeah, yeah those yep. GPU... And it's... The GPU horsepower in those top-end video cards, it's insane. It's absolutely mind-boggling. Well, yeah. and, you know, people are talking about, well, why do you need such a big video card for Oculus? It's like, because you need two 1080p screens running at 90 frames a second to drive Oculus properly. That is a lot of compute. 
Yep. Why are we cracking passwords again? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's generating all the rainbow tables and all the salt variations on. I mean, it's this storing passwords thing. Well, I mean, you what you're describing here is just offload the responsibility. That is don't a, exactly do it yourself. Right. Yes, forget that. it. And it's uh, like I consider that uh, for the vast majority of the companies, even big companies, the number of people that uh, deal with the security aspect of the thing, right. it's still probably dwarfed by the number of people that every day spend their time building and maintaining and grooming uh, these systems. Right. And uh, uh, not only that, but uh, I am uh, very proud to say that we have uh, some of the best uh, experts in the industry that look at this stuff every day. Yeah. So... I, you know, I don't understand why somebody would want to like, put themselves at risk and not take advantage of some of these things unless uh, you need to have uh, some very, uh, to say, um, extreme customizations. Sure. Like, uh, as usual, like once they introduced the system, uh, large, medium, small, and similar, clearly it's not uh, always uh, perfectly tailored, yeah. but uh, is it worth it to go and every time get stuff? Uh, yeah. How much more do you fit? need? Yeah, exactly. So what does the coding pattern look like? Like, what do I have to do in my... I know if I'm all in Azure, it's a checkbox. Yep. But if I'm running an on-prem app and I want to do this B2C thing so that I just offload all that stuff to you guys, is it a lot of code? Like, what do I got to do? It's not a lot of code at all. Luckily, thanks to the fact that we use all these uh, open protocols, which are like uh, industry standards. Yep. So... Um, First, uh, you can uh, pretty much pick uh, whatever platform you want. Mm -hmm. Like uh, whether you want to run in Ruby or in Node.js uh, right. or SP.NET, various flavors, uh, you will find something that uh, supports the protocols as is. Sure. And then, of course, uh, we provide specific libraries for uh, selected platforms, so SP.NET, Node.js, right. uh, and similar, that you can use for... Uh, forgetting about the low-level uh, technical details of how to format those messages, which kind of checks to do once you receive a token. All of that stuff uh, is uh, enshrined in the library. And in the library, basically, you just needed to say, this is uh, my instance of B2C. Right. And uh, this is the identifier that my app was assigned to. Right. And everything else goes uh, on its own. Great. Now, for setting up your application, in the case of B2C, you go to the uh, portal azure.com right. and uh, you um, create a B2C application, which substantially means uh, you go in the menu and you say, I want to create this. Mm -hmm. And then uh, once you create, actually first you create a tenant, which basically is like the name of, let's say, your company. Right. Then within this thing, uh, you define what are the sources of identity that you want to work with. So say uh, you want Facebook or you want Google, which means... You go on Facebook, you create your application in Facebook, and then you come back in B2C and you paste the coordinates of your application. Yeah, right. So that is like your own application in Facebook, not just any application. Mm -hmm. And the same you can do with Google, with Amazon, or with LinkedIn. Or you can just say, I want my local username and passwords, which many, many companies like, right. because like, uh, they just like to have a direct relationship with the user, so it right. works. And then uh, you define uh, what are the things that for you define the user, like the attributes. Right. So say that uh, the airline example that we are saying, frequent flyer number. Very good. It's yeah. something that you say every user must have this thing. And Passport so you define number. it sure. together with a set of uh, default attributes like user, email, and similar. And then after this, uh, you define uh, what you want to use as a user journey. So like uh, what happens when the user wants to sign up. Right. The user lands on your website and 
it's the first time that they show up and you want to ingest them. So what happens? Right. Maybe you want to have a certain experience for uh, how you ask them, like the frequent flyer, for example. Sure. Or uh, um, like any of those details. Then you define what happens at sign-in time, which uh, probably is uh, asking for the same identity providers, but you might format it in a different way. Mm -hmm. And then uh, um, you might want to also do things like uh, define whether you want your users to be able to change their own passwords sure. without asking anybody. Policies. Or like if they want to update their, uh, their information, maybe there are certain attributes that you want to save at the beginning yep. and never allow to change because... Uh, you just use them for identifying that user, right, yeah. but others instead you want to change, or maybe you wanted to customize the control that they use. Like if, uh, if you have to choose a date, maybe you wanted to do the date control, all of that stuff. So and I have all this ability to customize what that store is. Like yep. I don't have to just, like, I don't want to end up with a membership store that's part of Azure AD and membership store on-prem. I could push it all to Azure AD. Entirely Here are all the additional Azure. fields. Like everything that, needs to, that we have to know about this customer lives up there. That is exactly now, right. Now, in a multi-tenant world, can you have um, attributes of that customer be visible to one tenant and not the other? So in this specific case, given that you're doing these B2C, basically is like, uh, imagine you are the airline and you have your customers. Mm -hmm. So uh, you are the only tenant, let's say. Right. Then if you go on the other side, like on the business case, uh, then yeah, absolutely. Like in the business case, you can do things like uh, uh, assigning attributes depending on if you're coming from Contos or if you're coming from Fabricam, you might have a different uh, attributes. Right. But coming back to BTC, you do all of these things, mm -hmm. and then you say, this is the URL where my application lives. Okay. And uh, B2C responds saying, okay, this is uh, your identifier. Then you go back to your uh, code base, mm -hmm. you paste the identifier in the right uh, config entry for your uh, library that does right. OpenID Connect yeah. or OAuth and similar. And then you just start the flywheel. And mm. once a user lands on your website, and they are not authenticated and they click on the button sign up, then your library will send you back to the endpoint saying, right. uh, sign up, this is uh, my ID. And uh, the user will go through this experience and they, this thing will result in a token coming back to your application. Right. And now your application will use that token for authenticating the user. Okay. And this can be done for the website, can be done for the iPhone application, for the Android application. The concept is uh, pretty much the same. And can the, can the tokens also be used for authorization to authorize them to do this and that? I mean, this, Absolutely, this yes. is what we learned about, uh, you know, from, the, from uh, Dominic Bayer. Sure. Uh, a few years ago is that it turns out that business logic is a whole lot easier when you have these rules just in the token. Yeah, that's ma that makes it very straightforward. In fact, like say that uh, you are uh, doing a, a mobile app uh, and your application then is a web API. The, your web API will have different routes yep. and uh, you can decorate those routes saying, uh, for this route, I need uh, the user to be, I don't know, gold, for this other silver, for this other uh, uh, platinum. And then at that point, if they like, uh, clearly your client uh, will usually do the right thing. Let's say that it will not uh, take uh, one, uh, let's say, user from silver and try to call platinum. But your web APIs are there. So anybody can build a client and try to hit it. So uh, you always needed to have uh, these uh, kind of authorization checks on the resource and claims make it very, very straightforward. And, and I mean, one of the concerns I would have then is that token that I embed in my app, can that be stripped from my app and exploited in any way? Like, what, what are the protections? There? So here there is uh, what happens. In today's world, 
the tokens that we are trading are what we call bearer tokens, which okay. means that uh, it's a token that uh, when you present it, the token will be verified. Right. And then uh, for the sheer fact that you are presenting this token, you will be authenticated or authorized and similar. Right. So it's like a banknote. Like yep. the fact that I have 10 bucks yeah, entitled me to spend uh, 10 right. bucks. But, and uh, there are certain mechanisms that we use to prevent uh, these banknotes to end up in the wrong hands. Right. In fact, you remember that five minutes ago I mentioned you tell to Azure BTC what is the URL of your app, and then you get the ID. If your application would ask to get the token on a different URL, mm -hmm. you would not get it. Right. Like uh, Azure BTC said, well, I was told to give tokens only to this address, and right. only to this address I'm sending them. So that uh, if people try to do what we call token forwarding, which is a classic attack, they can't do it. Right. Now, if somebody puts like a, somehow manages to put something like a, in the middle, like for example your machine is compromised or, uh, your, or you save stuff in a log and somebody can read your log, mm -hmm. then people could get that token and reuse it. So we try to prevent that as much as possible, but it might happen. For applications that are like uh, at high, um, let's say, high risk of this, sure. for the business side of the house, we have uh, uh, this thing called uh, cloud join or uh, uh, conditional access. Mm -hmm. So this uh, substantially means that uh, you can grab any device like uh, an iPad or an Android ta tablet or a Windows tablet, even if it's not part of a domain, right. you can register it with Azure AD and this will result in a certificate being placed on your device. And then uh, once you obtain the token for calling APIs and similar, the, these things will always be done in compounded with that certificate. Okay. And then, st even if you still have well, token, it will remain much this is, Well, as much as that certificate is used for encryption, it's also identification at that point. Yes. The only way a, you could have sent me this encrypted data that I could decode this way is because you have this cert. It must be you. Right. Like, uh, that cert was assigned to the device. Right. And so that means that your request is coming from that device. That's right. Now, there is uh, something which we had in the past that... Which was part of the various uh, WSR, WCF, and similar, which uh, was uh, a way of uh, giving you tokens that are not just uh, banknotes, but uh, tokens that you can also use for uh, uh, modifying the message that you're sending. Mm -hmm. And somehow this uh, gives proof, uh, and I don't want to bore you with uh, cryptographic details, but <laughs> substantially, it means that uh, not only you are attaching this token, but you also are the legitimate user because this token contains a key which is encrypted in a way that only you and the, um, and the destination can right. actually see that uh, the message was, was uh, signed using that key. And uh, this thing was uh, uh, available in all these uh, richer protocols, but those richer protocols were too rich. Let's say right. that they required a lot of infrastructure. And so... REST, uh, better tokens, and similar, won in that respect. And so now we are doing all better. However, now with these uh, high-profile compromises and similar compromisations of big companies, there is uh, now a, a committee which is adding these uh, advanced capabilities to OAuth. Mm -hmm. And so you can expect uh, in the next coming months that uh, products, services, and companies will start supporting uh, these uh, kind of capability in which uh, the token will be bound to the client and nice. to the message. Yeah. So that if even if somebody steals the token, Man, they will all. not be able to reuse yeah, it. Yeah, won't sure. do anything. Yep. It's yeah, really that's, interesting. That's great. Carl mentioned the authorization part of this equation. 
does I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Think Texture's identity service. Absolutely. Does this play into that so that I could take that token that I've gotten from identification through Azure AD and use it with my own um, identity server? Well, technically, you can. Uh, you can. Yeah. Let's say that uh, in, uh, if you want to, like uh, you just configure identity server to trust tokens that come from Azure AD, right. and then you just do the transformation. Here, it largely depends uh, on uh, the topology that you have, like perhaps you already have it in place and you right. just wanted to play this back in. Then, uh, um, in terms of functionality, the two, uh, the two products do something very similar. Like mm -hmm. identity server is something which helps you to authenticate and uh, issue tokens. Mm. Azure AD does the same. Does the same thing. And, uh, so I can get all of my claims here. tokens as part of this B2C service as well. Right. So why don't I just do everything in one place? It's, uh, it's, po it's technically possible. Right. Like, uh, there are different, uh, uh, different scenarios, but uh, I'd say that the, the canonical scenario for B2C is uh, you really don't want to have anything to do with identity. You just want the outcome of right, identity. Right. And the then you outsource it as a, as a service. But then the, the, other, the next piece there is I have to define all the claims I want to make and have a mechanism to assign those claims to given accounts, given yep. certain sets of rules. Does that end up there as well? Is that part of my app that I have to talk to the service with? So you can absolutely do everything in B2C. That's mm -hmm. to say that uh, when uh, you sign up the user, yep. you can... Uh, ask for all these attributes, mm -hmm. and then uh, uh, those users uh, can be um, accessed through also APIs. Right. So say that uh, you want to do like sentiment analysis and assign scores as in like, uh, this is a customer that spends a lot of money, this is a customer that doesn't spend right. uh, a lot of money. It's a yeah, customer that's a little hostile to us. <laughs> and, you know, like like, uh, or yeah. this guy like is Get active the, on Twitter. The jerk attribute. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but it, you also think about the sort of logical progression with a given user where you give them very little rights when they first sign up. And then you add stuff. Yep. Yeah, they, now they buy something or they do some other things and those, those claims progress, that you have new claims you want to keep adding right. to it. So uh, you can most definitely, I would say, have your own process, your own logic, which uh, maintains uh, part of the attributes that you give to right. a user. So that, uh, the, and that's also that plays to what I said earlier. Like uh, when uh, you give to the user the chance of uh, managing their own profile, mm -hmm. you let surface the claims that you want them to be able to control. Right. Like if uh, somebody gets married and change their surname, you want them to be able to do it to on To make that own. change, right. Yeah. But uh, the jerk attribute is... Yeah. Uh, is it internal it's attribute, right? Okay. We don't want to show that to them. We just need to know that ourselves. <laughs> oh, that right? guy got the jerk claim. Oh, uh, no. I love writing that code. <laughs> if is in role jerk. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> you guys are going to put me in so much trouble. <laughs> <laughs> like here, let's just say that uh, I'm not uh, endorsing the practice. I'm just oh, saying that on. it's technically possible. We're all friends to, uh, here. But it's just us talking. I mean, come on. Sure. I, no, what are these mics that you guys uh, are? Know, what is this about? We were just talking over beers. Uh, but, you know, like the, the airlines will certainly tell you a lot about your frequent flyer account. But I know they keep track of stats about you that they only share with themselves. They look at your, you know, the kind of tickets you buy. You know, they give you, you know, I know United gives me a star rating based on do I buy the expensive tickets or the cheap tickets, things like that. Like, there's clearly a set of claims you want to have. Not a jerk. That, that are internal. <laughs> Right? Yeah, that, yeah. Are, that are within the app, not necessarily for the customer. Yeah. And you can do absolutely everything in B2C. Let's sure. say that uh, yeah. the system is designed to give you a turnkey, a turnkey solution 
so that you can do your backend side uh, for like uh, maintaining and evolving uh, the set of attributes, you can surface only the one that you want for the user, and your application can just consume it. Right. You don't need it to. But now, here, let, let's put it also this way. One aspect that uh, is often ignored when we are talking about uh, um, claims-based identity is that uh, you don't want the tokens that are enormous. Because right. uh, there is also the aspect of, like, for example, when you are using an iOS device, imagine that I have like, my iOS app, right. and I'm uh, making calls to your website, you are doing these from uh, Safari. Right. Safari has a 4K limit for cookies. Right. So if mm. you exceed the 4K, Safari just kind breaks. Of, kind of a problem. Like, yeah. It starts clipping uh, uh, cookies, and then your server doesn't get stuff. Yeah. So there will be situations in which you want your application to turn back and call the service and retrieve those attributes uh, without getting them in the token. But the good news is uh, that, uh, thanks to the magic of OpenID and off, you can do that very easily. Right. Let's say that uh, the moment in which you receive uh, the token from the user, then uh, your backend in the code behind, if it needs to know more about the user, mm -hmm. they can just turn and call the graph APIs, which right. are APIs that are exposed by Azure AD, and yeah. you can uh, mine for the attributes that you need. And okay. in the B2C case... You don't have to embed them all in the token. You can just go request, what are the claims I need? That is exactly right. right. And for B2C, is like uh, probably you do it uh, for uh, overage, as in like you don't want tokens that are too big. But if we go back to the business case, yep. there are situations in which you actually want to percolate. Like uh, si somebody signs in on their no expense note application. Right. And now I want to know their uh, reports. Mm -hmm. There might be certain places in which uh, you have... Uh, a big amount of reports if you're a people manager. Right. So you want to be able to go back to the directory and say, hey, I have a user X. Tell me all the users that report to him. Right. Or tell me all the users that are part Very of the same Very active cost directory center. thing to ask, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's classic. Yeah. And uh, normally when you, an ISV tries to create that functionality mm -hmm. without using Azure AD, they end up doing uh, unholy stuff. <laughs> like, wow. uh, they need to know this stuff. So yeah. they ask you to do things like uh, uploading uh, an Excel file once a week yes. with this information, yeah. which is like a recipe for like information leakage. Yeah, like, disaster. Information is not uh, up to date. Sure. Instead, with the fact that Azure AD exposes this API, then your application simply queries it when it needs it. And is able to push it when it needs it, too. And it is exactly right yeah. as well. Yep. That's really cool. That's pretty handy. When did all this stuff happen in Azure AD? When? The identity. Yeah, when? How long has this been available? Uh, well, my as I get older, my sense of time is... Uh, <laughs> like every time Facebook uh, says, uh, today is day six years ago. No. What do you mean uh, six what? years six ago? Six years right, ago. Yeah, yeah. So I have to go and verify. But uh, I think that uh, our first uh, public beta of uh, Azure AD was uh, something like uh, three or four years ago. Mm -hmm. okay. And it was... But that uh, was much more a corporate product then. Uh, it like, was only this corporate. This B2C product is still in preview. Like It's, it's very different. It's very new, yes. It's, uh, I think that we announced it something like uh, six months ago, one year ago, yeah. something to that effect. And right it's, now the it's, pricing, it's like your first 50,000 users per month are completely free. Yep. Your wow. first 50,000 authentications a month, completely free. Crazy. Right? And it's only when you get into hundreds of thousands that it's, you know, one-tenth of a penny per month wow. per, per uh, stored user. And the fact that this thing piggybacks on the infrastructure that we built for 
or 15 65 uh, right. or uh, in general I mean, you're already leaning on it pretty heavily exactly so yeah. that allowed us to keep the prices stupidly low really really low because, like, already, we already had like the capex of the infrastructure we just exposed these to different audience but the infrastructure was already in place right. so and I'm going back to the Troy Hunt terror again yep. okay <laughs> so I push all this account information up to you guys so if you get breached it's your problem it's not me anymore which is great. Now the only data I have to worry about is transactional data, which right. I could probably offload to a transaction processor, which I don't think you guys do yet, mm -hmm. but soon, I'm sure. But you're thinking about, I now have a strategy for building an app where I literally do not store any personal identifiable right. information anymore. And right? I don't even store whether or not the guy is allowed or the, the user is allowed to, to access this yeah. feature or that feature. I don't even care about that. And, and nobody knows know that. I mean, you know, that's right. the thing. Like, there's nothing you can exploit from me. My system can leak, and it's not going to matter Yeah, because you don't have that connection information. You guys are protecting that information. I just have a token. I guess you know the only real uh, Achilles heel is DNS, perhaps. Well, break that it doesn't work, right? You yeah. can't get to it. right, right, to break it. Yeah. Well, you do have to have the internet working for this to work. Yeah. Or to spoof it, right? I mean, if you if you register a URL and then that URL gets changed, you know, the IP address, that URL goes to some well, nefarious identity server. There are things uh, that are in place for uh, protecting you in that case. Like, for example, every time you use one of our libraries for talking to your web API, mm -hmm. and this library is initialized for uh, getting tokens from Azure AD, mm -hmm. The way in which you initialize it is you pass an HTTPS address, which says, uh, go here to get tokens. Now, say that uh, you end up being on a Starbucks, and that Starbucks has the DNS compromised. Yeah. Now, the DNS compromisation can exchange the address of Azure AD with a different IP that they own. But what they cannot do is do in a trusted uh, HTTPS pipeline. And as soon as the library sees that you are trying to get an HTTPS that has a certificate that is uh, not from a CA or is from a CA but does not have the correct uh, uh, subject, then it will simply not allow you to get a token. Yeah, right. And the same goes on the server side. So, of course, like, uh, attacks, like it's an arms race. We know how it works. Yeah. But for DNS attacks, uh, we have uh, measures in place that uh, mitigate. There's always going to be a certificate negotiation at some point. Always. Yeah. Like uh, this thing of a barrier of like uh, the 10 bucks works only if you do everything uh, on an opaque pipe. Right. Because uh, if instead you do it in the clear, then uh, there is no protection. Then you're asking for it. Yeah. If so the guy can grab your banknote, then there is nothing that prevents the guy from using it. Right. So you need to make sure that when you give his finger, you are doing it uh, in a protected channel. Right. So did we miss any potential attack vectors or even theoretical attack vectors? Oh, uh, of course, there is uh, many, 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 yeah. many. And uh, Troy, I'm sure, can uh, start listing them and uh, spend a couple of hours just describing them. But uh, the, let's just say that uh, the good news is that some of the best minds in the industry spend their entire day, every day, thinking about uh, how to counter these attacks. Right. And I would much prefer to trust my software to that kind of organization of minds than, you know, Bob in <laughs> development who has an idea that he's going to write it himself. Yeah. yeah. That's, uh, that's one of the most dangerous things. Yeah. Like uh, people that uh, come out with like their own encryption scheme or like uh, oh, yeah. that stuff that is, just uh, is the worst. Yeah. 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 Vittorio, thank you very much for being with us. Thank you guys. This was very nice. Excellent. And we'll see you next time. 
on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.